0: or even through all the content available on our YouTube page. Hey, our prayer is that God uses this message to change your life and that you could become a dynamic disciple of Jesus. Thanks for listening. Enjoy this message.
1: Good morning. Good morning. Thank you. It's great to be here. I love Radiant Church. This is a great place to be. And uh, David... I love it when he tells me I'm one of his favorite people because he's one of my favorite people. And uh, David and Renata are just incredible friends and pastors and leaders, and we love them dearly. We love this church. And uh, for those of you who don't know me, uh, me and my wife Jane uh, planted Radiant Church in Kalamazoo, Michigan in 1996 and uh, have lived there ever since, and uh, pastor an incredible church, and it's our joy to also serve as an overseer and a friend of of David and Renata and the whole team here. Do you guys love your pastors? You have incredible, incredible pastors, and uh, it's a joy. It's a joy to be here. Also, uh, my wife Jane wants to say hello. She is currently, uh, this morning, in Ann Arbor, Michigan at the uh, Children's Hospital, and uh, I'll just say this quickly because I've had such an outpouring of prayer and support from so many people around the country and around the world. And several of you from Radiant KC have reached out to us, praying for us. Our daughter, uh, Ashley, who was raised up under David and Renata's ministry when they were in Colorado, as well as my son-in-law, Zach, who came from their youth ministry. Uh, About a month and a half ago, Ashley was pregnant with twins, and found out at 25 weeks that they had a, it's called two twins transfusion syndrome, and so they were admitted into the hospital, and at 25 weeks, they were delivered premature, and their names were Reese and Celia, and uh, Reese was with us for about a week, 10 days, uh, before she went home to be with Jesus, and uh, she was a beautiful little one-pound baby girl, Uh, one of the Joys of my life is that I got to hold my little granddaughter for about 45 minutes, and uh, we know that she's with Jesus. Celia is doing well. She is still uh, at the Mott's Children's Hospital in Ann Arbor. She's now 29 weeks, uh, and she is doing well, and we're we're continuing to pray because she's still got a long ways to go, Uh, but we just want to thank all of you who've reached out and prayed, and uh, I know that it's been part of your prayer meetings. Uh, that's been so encouraging, we've, we've just gotten so many messages from people all over, uh, just saying, hey, we're, we're with you, we're praying, we're standing, and uh, we've been following along with your journey on Instagram, and, and uh, so we're just incredibly grateful for that. Ashley and Zach wanted me to express uh, gratitude, and uh, it's a joy for me to be here this morning, especially, I'm going to stay for a couple extra days, and I'm speaking at a uh, bold conference, <clears throat> which I love that. I love this house because there is a very specific and a unique anointing and call upon this church because it's on your pastors and it is to reach the next generation. Uh, it's significant. It's very important. It's unique. And we believe in it 100%. Our, our young people are gonna be taking buses coming down here for it. It's interesting when I was 25, Uh, I was the young pastor, but I couldn't get invited to youth conferences. Now I'm 51, I'm the old pastor, and I'm invited to youth conferences. So uh, I'll take what I can get, but uh, I love being here and and helping David and uh, the team here invest in Next Generation and uh, share the word with you this morning. So uh, I want to share a message with you this morning called Planted in the house, and uh, I want to encourage you, you if you have your Bibles, you can open up to two different places this morning. One's Psalm 92, and the other is Colossians chapter 2. Full disclosure, I was supposed to send notes. Somehow I made the mistake of not sending them, and so before the first service, uh, passed a message along to the production crew in the back. It's like, look, some preachers are classical. They play every note on the sheet music. I'm jazz, which means here's the key, follow along. And uh, we don't know where we're going to end up, but uh, I want to begin this morning by sharing these two scriptures. Psalm 92, verse 12 through 15, it says, the righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon and those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall still be fresh and flourishing to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. Now, turn over into the New Testament to Colossians chapter two. Paul, writing to the Christians at Colossae, he gives them this admonition. He says, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, As you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving, beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. So you might think in reading these two scriptures, what do they have to do with one another? Well, both of them have to do with the environments that we plant our lives in. See, I believe that environments matter environments matter. When you go back and you look at how God created the heavens and the earth in Genesis chapter one, everything that God created, he said was good. He created the birds and he said it was good. He created the fish. He said it was good. He created the cattle on the hills that were grazing. He said it was good. And he created mankind and he said it was good. He said it was not good that man's alone. Once he brought man and woman together, he said it is good. Now listen, Everything that God created, he also created a corresponding environment so that when the thing that he created was in the right environment, it would grow, it would be fruitful, it would multiply, and it would accomplish the purpose for which it was created. So when he created fish, he put them into the water. And when you put fish in the water, they swim, it's natural to them. Birds, he created the air, the atmosphere. And so we see flocks of birds flying around. There's nothing more majestic than seeing like a flock of birds flying in order or moving around. It's like, I wish I could do that, but that's not my natural environment. You see cattle and they're, you know, grazing on the hills and and they're doing what they were created to do in the right environment. But the crowning glory of all of God's creation was mankind. And when he created mankind, he created us with a corresponding environment in which we were created to thrive and be fruitful, and that environment is the presence of God. Yeah. Mankind was created to live in relationship with God, in his presence, or as Psalm 92 says, planted in the house of of the Lord. And why is that important? It's because environments matter. If you take a fish and you try to put the fish into the bird's environment, you know, you take a fish and you throw it up in the air, it's gonna be a mess because fish weren't meant to fly. If you take a bird and you hold it underwater, it's gonna drown because that's not the environment it was created for. When you take human beings, and you put them into toxic environments or ways of planting your life in different cultures other than the house of God and the presence of God, it's no wonder we see people not flourishing, but floundering. We see see people being defeated, discouraged, depressed, isolated, at war with one another, and offended instead of being what Jesus said we were created to be, which is fruitful. In John 15, Jesus looked at his disciples And he said to them, you did not choose me, but I chose you. I chose you. And here's what he said I chose you for. I chose you that you might bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. Jesus laid it out to be a disciple of Jesus. What mankind was always created to be and to do was to be in relationship with God Tap into the presence of God to be planted in his family in, as Psalm 92 says, in the house of God so that in our old age, even when we're looking back on our lives, that we're still flourishing and we're still bearing fruit so that we can actually say this last part of Psalm 92. We can declare at the end of our lives that the Lord is upright, he is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. In other words, we can live our lives And we can be fruitful, we can leave behind a legacy, and we can have a testimony to the goodness of the Lord in spite of the difficulties, the challenges, and the obstacles that we face. You don't have to be bitter, we don't have to become disenfranchised, we don't have to become isolated, we can be fruitful. And the cry of the human heart, whether you're a believer or not, is I know I am on this planet for a purpose. You don't see dogs walking around going, I wonder why I'm here. Jane and I have two dogs. We've got a golden retriever and a Boston Terrier. And the Boston Terrier weighs 15 pounds. The golden weighs 90 pounds. Stella runs Boaz's world. She's just this little, I mean, she's a little pit bull. She just runs around. But my dogs are never walking around my house going, I wonder why I'm here. I have this sense that I'm supposed to be doing something. It's because human beings created in the image of God know there's something intrinsic that knows that there's more beyond us, knows that our life should matter, knows that we should have a legacy, but yet so many of us are frustrated because we're planting our lives in all the wrong environments expecting to get all the right fruit. When in reality, fruit is determined by the environments we plant our lives in. Over the last two years, I was privilege to conduct the funeral services for the two most important people in my life. Besides my my wife, Jane, and my children, two most important people in my life were my grandparents. My grandparents uh, both went home to be with the Lord within nine months of one another. They had just celebrated their 70th wedding anniversary. That's pretty good to be married 70 years. Uh, One was 90, one was 91 years old. They got married very young. And they became Christians very young. And when my mom and my biological dad were married at 17 and 18 years old, my dad was a minor league baseball player who threw his arm out, found himself working in General Motors, addicted to heroin, left my mom and, and me in the inner city of Detroit. And so my earliest memories are probably being four years old and my mom crying herself to sleep and me having to be the man in the house, locked the doors, put my mom to bed, It's not what a four-year-old should have to experience. But in that moment, my grandparents stepped in. My grandparents came to our house on Sarasota Street and they said, you are gonna come and live with us and took my mom and me in. This was my dad's parents. They brought us into their household and the thing that was most important about my grandparents, Roy and Joanne Cummings, is they love Jesus with all their heart. See, my grandfather worked for 30 years in General Motors. He was an itinerant person evangelist and preacher and Southern gospel singer. I was the little boy that would dress up in a three-piece suit and make sing Jesus Loves Me on the platform. And my earliest memories beyond the painful ones were being in their home and my grandfather would wake up every day at 530 before he went to work, and he would sit in the same chair. He would eat oatmeal, drink his coffee, and read his Bible. He had a Dixon analytical King James study Bible. I called it a 50-pound heathen choker. That thing was bigger than the Detroit phone book. I mean, it was like this big. And he would sit, and that thing would be on his lap, and as a little boy, I'd crawl up into his lap. And My grandfather would read the Bible to me. And as I got a little bit older, my grandfather would tell me stories about being in revivals in the 40s and in the 50s. And they would travel on a little bus to go and sing on weekends and they would take me along. And so I grew up under the second row of pews and drawing on offering envelopes and listen to singing. And I learned to love God and to learn to love his people and his house. So fast forward the tape, I remember seeing them just before they both passed away. And my grandfather, who was struggling with dementia, oftentimes couldn't remember people who walked into the room, couldn't remember names. But when you would engage in a conversation with him, two things would come out of him. Testimonies of what God had done in his life and old lyrics to hymns and scriptures that he had memorized. It was so deep in him, church. It was so deep in him. He wouldn't recognize somebody would walk in and he would say, it reminds me of the song, there's honey in the rock, my brother, there's honey in the rock for you. Bring your sins to the cross and the altar, there's honey in the rock for you. He would say, well, you know, Colossians says and Psalm says, and he had it so deeply in his heart. It was the fulfillment of Psalm 92 that at the end of his age, at 70 years of age, him and my grandmother had gone through difficult times in their lives, but they had put their lives in the environment that would cause fruit to come out of their lives, for them to flourish, and for them at the end of their days to be able to say, the Lord is my rock, he is righteous, and there is no unrighteousness in him. See, that's the kind of testimony, that's the kind of life I think we want to live. We don't wanna live lives of bitterness. We don't wanna live lives of discouragement and isolation. We don't wanna live our lives with regrets at the end of our days. It's like, so we sit back sometimes and go, well, how do I get that kind of life? They, they must be lucky. It has nothing to do with luck. It has everything to do with where you decide to plant your life because environments matter. And when we plant our lives in the presence of God, it says that we flourish. In the house of God, it says we thrive. But as it says in Colossians, the enemy wants to cheat us. He wants to steal from us by getting us to put our lives in toxic environments. Through the traditions of men, you might read that and go, what's philosophies and traditions of men? It just means culture. You see, culture, which is energized by the spirit of this age, is a strategic plan of the enemy to get you from planting your lives in the environment that God created you to thrive and to be who you were created to be and bear fruit that has long-term legacy. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy from you. And the way that he does that is get you to plant your life in the wrong environment and to be influenced by the wrong nutrients and the wrong soil that then will produce fruit that you didn't want produced out of your life. One of my first jobs that I had as a teenager was I worked at a Denny's. Has anybody ever worked gone into a Denny's? I shouldn't say worked at a Denny's because that would be sad, but has anybody ever gone to a Denny's? Raise your hand if you've gone to a Denny's before. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> I worked at Denny's in the 80s when there was a smoking section and a non-smoking section, and which meant Zero because regardless of whether you sat in the smoking section or the non-smoking section, when you left the building, you smelt like smoke. And I would go home. I had a hypersensitive mom. I was 16 years old. I was a busboy, dishwasher. And uh, I, I would avoid, you know, kind of the smoking section, but you had to go in there. When I came home, my mom would, you know, meet me at the door, or come up into my room later and go, are you smoking?" are you smoking? Did you start smoking? I'm like, mom, I'm not smoking. I work at Denny's. I smell like mozzarella sticks and cigarettes. And she's like, are you sure you're not smoking? Cause you smell like smoke. I'm like, yeah, I smell like smoke because I've been in a smoking section restaurant for eight hours. How do we think that we can go into a Denny's and not come out smelling like smoke? How do we think we can live in the world under the influence of culture and not having intentionally planted our lives in a different atmosphere and environment and come out of this thing not smelling like the world? It has everything with us making a decision because I want you to know something. A decision has been made about you. God has made a decision about you. He knows you, he knows me. He knows the fruit, he knows the purpose. He knows the difference he wants you to make. He knows the joy he wants you to experience. He knows the blessing he wants to be on your family, on your marriage, on your business. And he's created a corresponding environment. But there's another decision that's been made about you. And that decision is the enemies. He's created a blueprint and he's created an environment and he set a trap That if he can get you into that trap, he can cheat you, he can snare you, and he can actually make you a negative evangelist against the grace of God. See, one of the most powerful, the most powerful voices against the church and against Jesus is a Christian who's filled with bitterness. Because we all look at that and go, well, if that's the church, then... Or if that's Christianity, I don't want to be like that. Right, right, right. One of the major issues that we have right now in our, in our culture right now is deconstruction, where you've got people who grew up in church, been around church, were supposed Christians or maybe really were, it's like they've been there, but now they're like deconstructing. And what's happening It's just like a a farmer takes that seed spreader and he begins to walk along the soil and shoot seed everywhere. Now what has happened is we've seen an acceleration because of social media and technology where people's negative testimonies and offenses and wounds and hurts, the philosophies and the traditions of men begin to get scattered and it activates a wound or a deception in the hearts of so many people. It's like, well, if that's Christianity, I want nothing to do with it. And the enemy knows if he can't keep you from being a Christian, his second best option is to make you a miserable Christian because now you become a great evangelist against the work of God. But the greatest evangelist, the greatest uh, witness that we have in our generation is the fruit that comes out of our lives. It's the fruit that Jesus is producing out of us. And listen, there's so much of that that doesn't get celebrated. There's so much fruit. There's so much testimony, so many prayers. But the enemy is setting a trap for this generation. Jesus said in Matthew 24:10, he said, in the last days, one of the greatest threats against the church is going to be, many will become offended. It's offense. You say, Well, how do I how do I keep myself from, from stepping into the trap? How do I keep myself from being fruitless? The way that you keep yourself from being fruitless is you have to become rooted in the right environment, getting rooted in Christ, getting rooted in Jesus, getting rooted in his word, getting rooted in his house. This is the environment. It's not the building. It's not the the service per se. It's the atmosphere of being around other believers, being in community, being submitted to the word of God, having voices and authority in our life that cause us to thrive and using our gifts to serve other people. When we do that, fruit abounds. But the enemy has set a trap that he wants to snare us to keep us from producing good fruit. And the snare that he has is offense. In fact, the word offense in the Bible, when Jesus said that offenses must come, he said in Matthew 18, offenses are going to come. When he uses the word offense, it's the word scandal. It's where we get the word scandal from. But it literally means the trigger on a trap. So think about this. You set a trap and you're waiting for something to step into it or to trigger it so that you can captivate it so that you can hold it so that you can possess it so that you can kill it and this is what an offense is and this is where we are vulnerable because it's not just uh, I've been a pastor for almost 30 years and I've been a Christian since I was 12 years old and here's what I will tell you personally when I've been offended, whether it's offended at God, or whether it's been offended at somebody else, I'm the last person to admit I'm offended. When things would come out of my heart, like, "Well, I'm not offended," but how many you know that that's a telltale sign that perhaps I'm offended? Well, I'm not offended, but I'm I'm actually offended. And I, I can't tell you how many people have started those conversations. It's like, look, what's going on in your life? Why are, you, why are you destroying this? It's like, well, I'm not offended. Are you offended? No, I'm not offended. Describe to me what you think offense is. Are you upset? Yes. Have you forgiven? Not yet. Are you holding it against them? Yeah, probably. Has it changed your life negatively? Yes. Eh, that might be offense. I don't know. But I'm not offended. I'm just righteously indignant. And it's producing unrighteousness in me. That's called offense. And you know who is the master at setting that trap? Is the devil. He is a master student of human behavior. Jane and I live in downtown Kalamazoo and we've got kind of a a big backyard and we've got like three different tiers of like gardens, not because we planted them. The person we bought the house from was really into that. And so we have to maintain it. It's beautiful gardens, uh, but I hire somebody to come in because I don't know anything. (laughs) But uh, we noticed this spring that in our backyard we had groundhogs, like big groundhogs. One day I was looking at the slider, looking out at our retaining wall, and there's this groundhog looking at me going, what you going to (laughs) do? Groundhogs like tear up your yard. I mean, we have these huge holes by our shed, and they're just... And this thing looked like a small dog. I mean, it did. It was, and, and I'm like, we got to get rid of this. And then it must have had babies because there was a couple smaller ones. So I'm going through Google. I'm like, okay, pest control. So I find all these people that will come out and humanely bring a cage and catch the groundhog and relocate them to a better place, put them up for adoption, grant them a scholarship for their college education, <laughs> all these types of things. For, I'm like, that's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for the guy that has the rebarb trap that snaps over their neck. That's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for the guy that kills them. And so you're like, oh, I didn't come to church to hear like a killing animal thing. well, tough. That's what you're getting because <laughs> that's who I am. And I was like, I want this thing dead. And so I call the guy. He pulls up in a pickup truck. And I should have known because on the side of the pickup truck is like these wicked, scary eyes with a like a, a, I don't even know what a thing, like an animal bearing its teeth and it's like critter control. I'm like, yes. And he comes out and he sets all these, he's, he, he, I mean, he's gonna set traps up, but he's like, let me walk around. So he's looking where the holes are. Oh yeah, this is where he's coming. He's coming under your privacy fence. Oh, he's got this hole. Here's so he evaluates all of these paths and then he sets the trap. He says, this is his traffic pattern. And so I'm going to set the traps here. And sure enough, day one, boom, got one. And he comes and gets it, resets the trap. Two days later, boom, gets another one. We still haven't gotten the big one yet. The other day, Jane and I pulled into our driveway. I, I, this is so true. I pulled into the driveway and there up against the privacy fence, I see him walking and he like sits up and he looks at us. And I'm like, don't move. He like, he's right by the trap. He takes one step to go under the privacy fence. That thing gets, I watch it happen. Boom, hits him. He starts flopping around, dirt's flying all over the place. We wait there for like five minutes. I walk up there to look at the trap and there he is. Ah! He had flopped himself out of the trap, broke it in half, had the clamp over his neck and he's trying to scooch away. He goes towards the other hole under the fence. And he's trying to get under the hole because this is his traffic pattern. So the good news is we are groundhog free, (laughs) praise the Lord. But here's the bad news. is just like that expert comes out and he evaluates the traffic patterns of the groundhog in order to set the trap. You have an enemy who's studying your traffic patterns so that he can set traps. He's a student of human behavior. Here's what we don't realize. The devil has been studying human beings for thousands of years. You've been alive maybe for decades. He knows human behavior better than you know human behavior. And he knows your thoughts. He knows your wounds. He knows your history. He knows your words. He knows where to set the trap custom to you. And we, you can look at a groundhog and say, why would they look at a trap, see the steel thing and still step into it? Well, you know, the same could be said about humans because the enemy sets traps and he sets the trigger and the trigger is offense. And he knows where the places in our life we are vulnerable to get offended are. And we're seeing it across the board right now. So many Christians who love Jesus and are saved and on their way to heaven are getting immobilized or are deconstructing or are walking away from their faith or getting isolated, not because the grace of God is not powerful enough, just simply because we've not intentionally changed our course of traffic and planted our lives in the right environments. We've still got offense in our heart. Maybe it's offense at God because he didn't come through for us, the way that we thought he was supposed to come through for us? Or we become offended at the word of God? Or we become offended at the cross of Jesus Christ? Or we become offended at one another? But offense, Jesus said it's gonna come. And what we do when offense comes either determines whether we put our roots down deeper into Jesus during difficult seasons or whether we get offended. And as Hebrews chapter 12 says, a root of bitterness springs up that defiles us and defiles many. You read Hebrews chapter 12 and it's very clear. It says, therefore, lift up the drooping hands and strengthen weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, rather be healed. See, it's always in the places of vulnerability, in the places of our hurts, in the places of our wounds, in the places where we've been disappointed. But then it goes on to say, it says, strive for peace with everyone. And for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fall, fails to obtain the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. How do they become defiled? Because a root of bitterness produces fruit. And this is what we're seeing so many people offended. I'm offended at God, or I'm offended at the Bible. You know, I don't like what the Bible says. Listen, the Bible's the only book that when you read it, it's actually reading you. The word of God does not shift and it doesn't change. The Bible says the word remains forever, though the grass withers and the flowers fade. I know in American culture, we're used to taking things and shifting it and forming it to what we think it should be, but that's not how God works. And if you're not reading the Bible and getting confronted with things from time to time that you don't like, then you're not really reading the Bible. You say, well, you're a pastor. You read the Bible and there's things in there you don't like? Yeah, if I was writing the Bible, it would be a whole different book. But you'd all be in trouble. But when we read the Bible, there are things in the Bible that are truth that our flesh doesn't like to. And it's easy easy to become offended at the word of God. And we've got so many people in the church that instead of, allowing the word to shape us and making a decision. Right now, I'm gonna, as I've received Christ, I'm gonna walk in him and I'm gonna put deep roots here. And right now, this is hard, but yet I'm going to do it. I'm gonna put the roots down deep. Instead of doing that, what we're doing is saying, well, I'm offended at that. And all of a sudden, a root of bitterness springs up. Or we get offended at the cross. Think about our culture right now. Everybody loves Jesus as long as Jesus affirms us, accepts us, and doesn't ask for change in us. We love that kind of Jesus. We love the Birkenstock wearing hippie Jesus. But do we love the Jesus who calls us to repent and to sin no more? Do we love the kind of Jesus who steps into our life and lovingly confronts us? Do we love the Jesus who goes to the cross not because he was weak, but because his love was strong. Who goes to the cross because there was sin in our life that need to be dealt with. Galatians 5.1 says that the cross is an offense. Our culture looks at the cross and we love a Jesus who loves us. But when Jesus says, I'm going to the cross because you are dead in your sins and your trespasses and the only hope for you is that I die in your place, that becomes an offense. And we get offended at one another. Especially in the church. I know it's hard to believe, but in churches, people get offended. How many of you have ever gotten offended at somebody? Somebody just got offended. (laughs) Can't believe he'd ask us to do that in church. I'm offended, never coming back. Offense comes to all of us. And in the church, if you're looking for the perfect church, don't go to it if you find it. Because as soon as you go to it, you ruin it. It was perfect before you arrived and now all of a sudden, it's imperfect. Don't come to it. You're just like, why would God create something like the church that's such a mess and it's got such messy people? Because God is perfecting his church through an imperfect church. He's perfecting us. He uses even the conflicts and the difficulties in our relationships to actually strengthen and mature us. We don't have to be offended. We can be at peace with all men. But all of this has to do with us choosing the right environments. Are we gonna intentionally take personal responsibility and say, in the middle of a culture that's going that way, I'm choosing to double down and to invest my life into the word of God. I'm going to live my life in the presence of Jesus in personal relationship with him. And I'm going to invest my life into the house of God building a legacy, strengthening this church, strengthening the community of faith, doing life with people. This is my family, this is my environment because I want to flourish or are we gonna let that trap snap on our hearts and limit our fruit and actually alter the DNA of our fruit so that it's actually filled with bitterness and regret and disappointment and isolation and discouragement. And at the end of our days, we look back with regrets Instead of being able to say, like Psalm 92 says, the Lord is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. The ability to be able to say, like David says, that I've been young and now I am old and I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their seed begging bread. That's the kind of life we wanna live. Fruitful lives, overflowing lives, green lives, that at the end of our lives, we look back and go, God was good even when I didn't know he was at work. Jane and I have been walking through this challenge with our family and we had so many people praying and I'll I'll be honest, we prayed for Reese to be healed and to live and to be whole. And when she died, it was painful. And I remember holding her in the hospital room and watching my daughter cry. It's one of the most painful moments of my life that I could ever remember is feeling so helpless as a father. And in that moment, just weeping, and I knew that the enemy had set a trap for me to be offended. And I looked at my son-in-law, and an hour later, he posted something on Instagram announcing that she had passed away. And then he posted a scripture out of Job. It says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And his faith healed my heart. In that moment, I decided, God, I don't understand why. I don't know all the ins and outs. You are God and I am not, but I choose to worship you. I choose to believe that you are good. I choose to say that Jesus is faithful and I choose to put my roots down deeper. You see, in dry seasons and in difficult seasons, that's where the roots of a tree go deeper because they've got to tap into the water level that is not easily accessible. And in your pain, let me just promise you, Jesus has water available to you. If you will reject the trap of offense and you will dig down deep into Jesus, there is life and there is healing and there is fruitfulness. I'm finished finish with this. <clears throat> it's our responsibility to keep our hearts right. When Jane and I were first married, so this is 23, probably 23 years ago, we bought our first house. And when we moved into the first house, Jane and I went down to this nursery that sold plants. And we wanted to get a, a couple plants for the house. And we picked out this palm tree. And it was, you know, it was potted. It was a potted palm tree. It was about six, seven feet tall. And we're like, that's gonna be great. So we take that home, and we put it in a corner, it's beautiful. Two years later, that palm tree still at that time was six, seven feet tall. And you know, when you buy a plant, it has that little plastic thing in there that tells you all the details about the plant, the Latin name of it, how much sun it needs, how tall it will grow, all that kind of stuff. So We've got that in there. I had memorized it, just, it was a cool name of a tree. When it was two years old, Jane and I went on a vacation to Florida to visit some friends of ours. And when we stayed at their house, you know, they had this beautiful backyard, it's full of palm trees. Palm trees, I don't know if you know this, don't grow in Michigan. But they do in Florida. Florida. So when we go into their backyard, he's telling us about these trees. They're 30, 40 foot tall trees and they've got these big coconuts on them and just gorgeous trees. And I said, what kind of tree is that? He just spurted out and I remembered this palm tree is the exact same palm tree I have at home in our pot. Mine is seven foot tall and no fruit. His is 30 foot tall with fruit. The difference is my palm tree is potted his is planted. The roots can't go deep so that the shoots go high and the fruit can be born until it gets out of the pot. And I think it's possible for some of us, when it comes to Jesus, we've been in his presence but still potted. We've not made the decision to put our roots really into Jesus. Jesus. We might be a fan of Jesus, but we've not become a follower of Jesus. And I think it's possible for some of us, we've been going to church, we bring our pot with us. We set it down, but we can't figure out why there's not fruit and flourishing happening in our lives that's happening in the life of the person three rows down from us. It's like, I'm here every week, or I'm here most weeks. They're here, how come I see flourishing in their family? How come I see them joyful? How come I see them growing spiritually? And yet here I am. And maybe it's because we've never gotten out of the pot and really put our roots into the soil. Today, Jesus is inviting us that if you're bearing fruit, it's to even go deeper. Listen, this is a dry and a weary land. And the psalmist said, in the dry and weary land, I thirst for you. Jesus is inviting us to put deeper roots down into him, rooted and built up, not captivated and taken prisoner. If you're bearing fruit, it's time to go deeper. We, don't, we haven't arrived until the day Jesus comes back. Listen, if it was just about getting you to heaven... Once you got saved and Pastor David baptized you, we would just hold you under the water until the bubble stopped coming up and celebrate that another soul has gone on to glory. But the fact that you came up out of the water means there's a purpose for your life, means that there's newness of life for you, means that Jesus is alive in you and there's something for you to accomplish. And it's time for some of us to get out of the pot and to put our roots down deep. For some of us, it means making Jesus Lord of our life not just the icon of our religious affections. It means Jesus for real, I'm surrendering to you because I want to flourish. And for some of us, it's time for us to stop orbiting the church and actually become a part of the church and say, I want to be a living stone building a habitation for the presence of God here in this city, together in this community of faith. Would you stand with me all over the room, please, this morning? Holy Spirit, how we need you. Lord, how we need you. To open the eyes of our heart. To see beyond the temporal and to see the eternal. To move beyond the transient. To know that at this very moment, eternity is here. The kingdom is here. Jesus, you are here. And Lord, you're here to save those of us who are still bound in our sins and have yet yielded to your Lordship in our life. Lord, you're here to heal the wounds of offense and the pain and the real trauma that some of us have experienced of being judged, being isolated and left out and being looked down upon. Lord, I pray today you would move in this room as healer and you're here to deliver us, Lord, from our own control and to plant us in your house. Holy Spirit, do right now what only you can do. Only you can draw us to Jesus. Only you can awaken our hearts with holy desperation to say, Jesus, I need you save me, forgive me, heal me, give me eternal life. And I ask you to do that right now. With every head bowed and every eye closed, please, in this room, this is a holy moment. If you are here and you know in your heart of hearts that you're not right with God, I mean, you know it, you've not really surrendered to Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life. Or you know that you, You've been living for yourself as your own master. But it's leading you nowhere and you're tired of carrying the burden of sin and shame and guilt. And the enemy has lied to you and said it's too late. You've gone too far, you've done too much, it's been too long. There's something inside of you that says I got to I've got to cry out to God today. Lord, if you'll save me, I'll I'll follow you Jesus. Maybe you're a prodigal today and you're thinking back to the days when you were younger and you believed and you were building history with Jesus and yet something or someone came along and caused you to walk away and you've just become dull and hardened and compromised. Today there's just this awareness, I know it's time for me to get right with Jesus. Today I want to pray with Many of you today to restore a relationship with Jesus, to get out of the pot and to put our roots into Jesus. And all over the room, if you say today, I know I need to get my life right with God, Pastor Lee, pray for me. I wanna include you in this prayer, but I want you to take a step of faith. I'm gonna count to three. And when I say three, if you know you need to get your life right with God, on three, you raise your hand, you hold it up. Today, life is coming to you. Here we go. One, two, three, just hold it up. And hold it there. Come on, there's nothing to be ashamed of today. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. All over the room, today is your day. Come home. Today is your day. Come home. I see your hand in the back. You've been wrestling with doubts and unbelief. You've been wrestling with all the reasons why not, but today Jesus is here to break through. If that's you and you're saying, Jesus, I need you to save me. And you've not raised your hand, raise it right now. Thank you. You can put your hands down. One last thing while we're still praying. You're here and you say, I'm a Christian, but I know that I've had some offense in my heart, maybe towards the church, maybe towards other Christians or a family member or a friend, but something in me that has kept me from progressing. And today I want that root of bitterness pulled out and I want a clean and a pure heart. And today I'm asking Jesus to heal my offense. I'm surrendering that offense to him. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand all over the room, saying, yes, Jesus, I'm giving it all to you. Thank you. Thanks for your vulnerability. You can put your hands down. I want everyone in the room to pray with those who are about to receive Christ with me. Let's all pray this together. Say, Heavenly Father, I come in Jesus' name, and I believe that you are the Son of God, I believe you died on the cross. I believe you rose from the dead. And I believe you're the soon and coming king. Forgive me and heal me and come into my heart and be my Lord and my master. From this day forward, I turn my back on my past, I turn my back on my sin, and I turn my back on the world. And I set my face to follow you, Jesus. I am a new creation. All things are brand new. Lead me and guide me in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you just prayed that prayer, welcome to the family of God. You are brand new. One last thing I want to do before I invite Pastor David to come up. It's this. I want to pray over those of you who raise your hand to be healed from that offense. Can we just pray one more time? Lord, I pray today for those who raised their hands, for those who were so honest, so vulnerable, transparent to just say, God, here I am. I recognize the trap has sprung. But today, I believe that you're bigger, you're stronger than any trap and any offense that wherever sin abounds, grace does much more abound. Jesus, I pray right now you would walk up and down the aisles, up and down every row, and those places of offense as they've reached out, oh, son of David, heal me. Lord, I'm praying you would put your hand upon them and heal and remove that root of bitterness. Give them soft, pliable hearts to receive the word of God. And let today be a turning point in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to thank you guys so much for letting me be here. Pastor David, come on up.
0: Love you. Hey, let's do better than that. Can we give a big hand to Pastor Lee? We love you. What a brother. What a brother. So beautiful. I want to invite uh, our usher team as well as the prayer team, if you guys wouldn't mind coming up to the front. We want to take uh, a moment as we um, pray of our offering today to also, uh, Stand in the gap and pray for Celia. She's 29 weeks. So this is, um, Zach and Ashley are now probably mid-20s, late 20s, 29. All right. And so um, uh, Zach was in my youth group in Colorado uh, as a teenage kid and and a superstar. And uh, Ashley came from Michigan. And and this is just such a, a critical moment for Celia, she's 29 weeks, and I just want us as a family, as a radiant family, to pray for her. So let's just go ahead and and let's just stretch out our hands towards Pastor Lee. Father, we thank you, Lord Jesus, for Lee and Jane. I thank you, Lord, for Lee's yes at 25 years old to move to Kalamazoo and to plant Radiant Church. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for their three children. We thank you for their faithfulness. And Lord God, now their granddaughter, this precious little baby girl, Celia, we ask in Jesus' name that she would be healthy, that everything would work in her body. And we stand in agreement asking Lord God, do a miracle in her body. Let her grow, Lord Jesus, into a precious, healthy little girl. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for the gift that she is. And we thank you, Lord God. God, I thank you even for the story that Lee just shared about Zach. We pray for Zach and Ashley. Thank you for Ashley who's walking in such faith right now. And God, we ask to touch them, strengthen their family. Lord Jesus, we pray, be at work in ways that we will celebrate and give honor and glory to you. We pray, Lord Jesus, be at work. And Father, we, we, even now, Lord God, we give gladly and cheerfully. God, use what we give to make a difference. Specifically this week, Lord, I ask, Lord Jesus, for young people to give their lives to you. I pray, Lord, that those who are living in confusion, Lord God, would find the truth of the good news of Jesus. We pray that they would be set free. We pray that addictions would be broken. Father, we ask that they would find identity in you. God, we pray that destinies would come forth and they would step into it. God, we pray, do a mighty work this week. In Jesus' name.